0: Let's get started with a word of prayer, and um, I hope today this message will be a real encouraging message to you because that's what uh, I designed it to be. And I just pray that uh, we'll realize how blessed we are to uh, to be part of a, a good, solid Bible-believing church like this. Let's pray, Father, Lord, we ask you to bless our time together today. And I thank you, Lord, for this Father's Day message as well. I pray, God, that we can be the kind of men who will lead, and we just thank you for the ladies here that. Uh, If we lead in a loving way, Lord, uh, certainly they will want to follow because they love you as well. We just pray, Lord, that uh, all that's said and done here in this particular hour would be a a time of blessing and encouragement to our brothers and sisters in Christ at Community Bible Church. In name we pray. Amen. Well, I was ordained uh, 30 years ago, 1986. So that makes me really old. I was uh, probably one of the oldest uh, uh, guys in seminary as well. I graduated from, from Detroit Bible, the Detroit Baptist Theological Seminary. D- Dr. Combs and Dr. McCabe, these are guys are just a couple years older than me. So I am uh, really old. How old am I? I am so old that I taught fifth grade AWANA program with Ed Martin. How old am I? I am so old that Ken Rapp and I worked on the bus ministry together. Ken, would you pay attention? I'm trying to badmouth you. Uh, and I, how how old am I? I am so old that Ron Biggs and I were on the same church staff together at Inner City Baptist Church. I've been serving the Lord, thank goodness, for over 50 years. Uh 50 I know 50 years. I was a Sunday school teacher at the age of 14 in a little uh, uh, Baptist Church in Melvindale, Michigan. My name is Terry Smith and uh, my wife Deb is here and we're members of the church and uh, a little church gethsemane Baptist Church and um, uh, from there uh, the Lord uh, called us into ministry. Uh, We we served the Lord Deb and I at several different churches I'm not going to tell you that one of our pastors was a graduate of Hiles Anderson College. I wasn't going to say that today. Uh, there was a big bus ministry there. That's why I loved being there. Debbie and I used to run a bus ministry from Detroit all the way out to Belleville. 30-some miles. We'd have 50 or 60 kids in the bus, and Debbie was the bouncer on the bus. And she was good, let me tell you. Debbie and I were called to uh, to foreign missions. We served the Lord as missionaries in Australia for uh, several years and then we uh, pastored in uh, Ohio and uh, we also pastored in Florida and here in Michigan uh, just recently uh, we, we were working out in Ann Arbor at the Ann Arbor Chinese Christian Church for about 10 years and we had a just a wonderful ministry out there uh, serving the Lord with, uh, with, with with the Chinese so today we're going to be looking at Jesus's vision for the church um, three ministers were talking about prayer in general and the most effective positions for prayer. And as they were talking, there was a telephone... Rep- I use jokes, by the way, in my messages, so that's just the way I roll. A television, uh, a t- television repairman was working on a phone system in the background. And one minister sh- uh, shared that uh, he, he, the best way to pray was with your hands. You hold your hands together and you point them to God in symbolic worship. second man said, no, no, pastor, no, you're wrong. The best way to pray is on your knees, humbly, before God. And the third man said, no, you're both wrong. The best way to pray is, is, is flat on your face before God. By that time, the phone repairman couldn't stay out of the conversation any longer. He interjected, I found that the most powerful prayer I ever prayed was while I was dangling upside down from a telephone pole 40 feet in the air above the ground. That was the most important prayer to him. Now this prayer that we're going to be talking about today in John 17 was probably not said privately, rather in Jewish tradition. It was said aloud and it was available for these followers to hear. And Jesus, as he raised his hands toward heaven and his eyes toward heaven, the disciples as, and we as well today have an opportunity to catch a glimpse of Jesus' intimate relationship with himself and his father, To learn of his beginnings and his future, his mission and his fulfillment, and his desire and his hope for you and me. John 17 gives us a glimpse into the heart of Jesus unlike any other chapter in the four Gospels. This prayer probably took place in the upper room uh, before the prayer in Gethsemane, before Jesus' arrest and his trial. For many readers, it's a beloved Gospel, it's the beloved chapter, and Jesus aimed to express to us his, uh, his life and his work. And this can be uh, outlined using the words pray or I, uh, prayer or I pray. Jesus prayed for himself in verses 1 through 8. He prays for his personal disciples in the verses 9 through 19. And then he prays for us as the church today in verses 20 to 26. I'm going to read through this chapter and I'm going to have a brief uh, explanation or commentary as we go along. And then we're going to look at some ways of applying this passage of scripture to our lives and to this church. Verse 1 says after Jesus said this he looked down he looked toward heaven and he prayed. And Jesus prayed for himself in verses 1 through 8 as we said and said, "Father, the time has come glorify your son that your son may glorify you." And this was his only request. His time had arrived when he would be crucified. The cross was not a place of shame for Christ, but rather it was a place where he would glorify his Father by being totally obedient to his will. Verse 2 says, For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to, those, to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. The Hebrew understanding of knowing includes more than just a knowledge of God. It's a real and intimate relationship with God. And it's a a way in which you commit yourself to Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. Because Christianity is an exclusive faith. In other words, there's none like it. Because we believe that without Jesus Christ, access to God the Father is impossible. Amen? That's the difference between us who are believers in God and those who do not trust Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Did any of you get an opportunity to see the the movie Risen? Anybody see the movie Risen? Actually, it was a really good movie. I I liked it. You had this um, uh, Pontius Pilate. He had a a, uh, military tribune named Clavius. And when Jesus Christ was uh, being crucified, he asked Clavius to go and wrap everything up because the crowd was getting rather rowdy. So he had his men break two of the... uh, Uh, the the two uh, thieves legs and he saw uh, Mary the mother of Jesus crying there so he had uh, the soldier thrust the sword into his side and um, then he on his horse he walked up and he looked at Jesus Christ after he was actually dead on the cross he got a good look at his face and um, then later on after Jesus Christ had supposedly arisen from the grave they didn't know actually what happened to him uh, uh Pontius Pilate tells this military tribune Clavius to, uh, to go and find the body because he was sure that, that the disciples had taken the body. So as he was looking for the body, he, uh, he uh, comes across uh, the disciples there and Jesus Christ is right in the midst of it and he was just he's just overtaken with he didn't know what to think. Here he is arisen from the from the grave. And he was so overtaken and overcome by it that he followed the disciples to Galilee where Jesus Christ said that they would see him again. And um, there he is in Galilee and um, uh, and he makes makes pretty good friends with uh, the the disciple John as as they're going along. And and one night he's sleeping. Clavius is sleeping and and he wakes up and he sees Jesus on uh, on a rock overlooking the Sea of Galilee. And he kind of... Gets up and he goes up there and sits next to him. And all he can say is, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say. And Jesus says, just say what's on your heart. And he can't even get a word out. And finally, Jesus, who knows his heart, said, you want a day without death? And he says, yes, that's what I want. He knew exactly what was on his heart. And as I was watching this, I was thinking to myself, you know, in heaven, the Bible says we're going to be with the Lord forever, for, for eternity, right? So there's lots of time. <laughs> and I was just wondering, would there ever be a time where I could actually sit with our Lord, look into His eyes, and have a conversation with Him, and maybe Him tell me what was on my heart? Wouldn't it be awesome to be able to do that with our Lord? Maybe one day we'll get that opportunity. Verse 5 says, And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world began. This verse gives us an insight into the pre-incarnational relationship that Jesus had with his Father. Before the world actually began, he was with his Father in heaven before he was born into this world. Verse 6 goes on and says, I I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. And Jesus said in, in a verse, he says, If you've seen me, you've seen who? You've seen the Father. Exactly. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Verse 7, now they know that everything you have given me comes from you, for I gave them the words that you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. Then in verse 9, we see here, I pray. And he's going to be praying for his disciples here. And he uh, actually makes four petitions for his disciples in, in these in these verses. The first one is a participation in his in Jesus's glory. In verse ten, he says, "Glory has come to me through them." And then their protection. In verse eleven, he says, "Protect them from the power by the power of your name from the evil one." And then sanctification. Number three. In verse seventeen, he says, "Sanctify them through your truth." And then unity that they may be one as we are one. Let's continue in verse nine. He says. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine, and the glory has come to me through them. See, Jesus brought glory to his Father when he was on this earth. And likewise, we ought to be living a kind of Christ-like lifestyle that disciples that the, and his disciples as well as he's praying for them should bring glory to Jesus and to the Father. We should be able to say, if you've seen me you've seen Jesus. Can you say that? If you've seen me, you've seen Jesus. Now that's a mouthful. It really is. Verse 11 says, And I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you, Holy Father. Protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. Verse 12, While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by the name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that the Scripture would be fulfilled, and of course, this is Judas Iscariot. Verse thirteen: I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, and they are not of, of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is, is that they, uh, my prayer is not that they, not that you would take them out of the world, but you would protect them from the evil one. A wise man once wrote in Proverbs, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. And I know many of you, uh, maybe you're not as old as I am, but uh, there's been many times in your life where the only place you could go was to the Lord. And that's what he encourages us to do. Verse 16 says, They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by, thy, by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. Of course, this is the Great Commission where God is is, is calling us as, as, as his followers to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Verse 19 says, For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. And Jesus' mission was this. He was sanctified or set apart to totally surrender his life to, uh, to God. And this was God's will and this was his mission on this earth. And he wants us to be set apart. Uh, For the ministry he has for us in this world whatever the ministry might be no matter how small or how large it might be as I taught that uh, uh, Sunday school class when I was 14 the kids were were eight years old and all we had was a little room that they used to use as a a Closet (laughs) and it was four or five kids and myself And uh, it was amazing because one of the young boys in there trusted Christ as a savior His name was Kim Lozano and he's now a DJ in one of the radio stations here and he came up to me as an adult and he says I want to thank you for uh, for, for teaching me and for and for sharing the gospel with me in that, in that classroom and I put that's where I put my faith in Jesus Christ and that's why now I now live for him so you know sometimes you don't think you're doing a whole lot but you know whether you're teaching a Sunday school class or whatever you might be doing in this church you know God wants to use you in that ministry whatever it is and maybe one day somebody will will come up to you and say thank you Thank you for what you've done for me, for ministering to me, for showing me what it means to know Christ is my Savior, or for encouraging me in my spiritual life. It goes on here, in verse 20, it says, my prayer is not for them alone. In verse 20 20 to 26, he says, I pray for those who will believe in me through their message. Thirdly, Jesus prays for those who will be the disciples of these disciples or of the church today. This message in verse 20 is the gospel that's been preached the last 2,000 years and it's being preached in this very church and was preached this morning when you were challenged to put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ. In verse 21 it says that all may may be one as we are one. And you and I are one in Jesus Christ in that each and every one of us are indwelt by the Spirit of God. So we are one in Jesus Christ. And I love that, don't you? That uh, we're one in Christ. Now, I teach a... A class at at work. I work at uh, the world headquarters up in Auburn Hills, and Tuesdays and Thursdays I get together, and we have uh, between uh, eight, and, oh, but probably between six and ten guys. We get together, and we've got guys from every, from all the different faiths. Uh, uh, you have, uh, or you know, Christian faiths, anyways. We uh, have Catholics, we have we have Lutherans, we have Presbyterians, we have Pentecostals, we have uh, those in Bible churches, and a few Baptists here and there. But we, we get together and we, we share our faith. And uh, it's just a wonderful time where, where, we can, where we're one because we're one in Jesus Christ. And, and we have the Holy Spirit within us. And, and, uh, and it's just a, just a really good time. He says, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that so that or, or the result will be the world may believe that you have sent me. Verse 22, I have given them the glory that you gave me. We have been given the glory of Jesus Christ today. Why? Because we as a church, we are to stand in Jesus Christ's place to glorify Him and to give fame to His name. Uh, The name of the Father and and His glory should be our goal in life. That they, uh, Community Bible Church, may be one as we are one. Verse 23, I and them and you and me, may they be brought to complete unity. Why? To let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even. As you have loved me. in verse 24. Father I want those you have given me. To be with me where I am. To see my glory. The glory you have given me. Because you love me. Before the creation of the world. And that's wonderful. Because Jesus Christ wants us to be with him one day. To see his glory. The glory. Uh, before that he had with his father. Before the world actually begun. I mean that's going to even be better. Ladies than social media. <laughs> it's going to be a wonderful thing. When we get an opportunity to be with the Lord. Throughout eternity. Verse twenty-five, righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them, and will continue to make you known in order that the that the love you have for me may be in them, and that I myself may be in them. Our chief concern is to live a life that glorifies God. We should exhibit we should exhibit that life in our worship and our relationships in our ministry, the same kind of life that Jesus Christ exhibited when he was on this earth. And the question that we should ask ourselves in every decision that we make in life is, does this glorify God? Whether it be in the friends that you have, whether it be in the person you decide to marry, whether it be in the school you decide to attend or the life in which you live, does this glorify the Lord? And, um, it's a, it's, it's a difficult thing to do because sometimes what glorifies him does, it makes you a little bit uncomfortable and maybe puts you outside the, 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 uh, your comfort zone. But still, we want to live a life that pleases him. Jesus continues to pray for us today. I think you have these in your notes. Listen to these words from Hebrews seven twenty five Consequently, he is able for all time to save those who approach the God through him since he always lives to make intercession for us. And then in Romans 8 34, he says something very similar. It is Jesus Christ who died, yes, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed intercedes for us. And Jesus' desire is that we would reflect uh, his life, that we would become living testimonies to the world of who Jesus Christ is and his love. Since I've been here at the Community Bible Church, Uh, This church has ministries and is also now developing ministries that actually fulfills Jesus' vision for his church. When you look at our worship services, our teaching ministries, uh, this uh, Stephen ministry, community groups, the youth ministries, all are geared toward uh, 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 fulfilling uh, the great commandment as well as fulfilling uh, the great commission of his church. But what is Jesus Christ's mission for you and for me? And this prayer is the engine that powers the church today to fulfill the Great Commission and the Great Commandment. And our church's mission is to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Amen? That's what we should be doing. And there are four elements of Jesus' vision that are meant to give us a, a handle as to how to, we're to apply these things to our lives and, and how we're to take the gospel into the world. First of all, we're to be the church where people experience the presence of God. And there's people today that are looking uh, for the reality of God. And there's a spiritual interest that you're probably finding out as you talk to people. It's everywhere. And people uh, are trying to exercise this, this spirituality, whether it's in a church or whether it's in a mosque or a New Age temple. An engineer I talked to told me he was very spiritual. But uh, he really didn't believe in the, uh, in the, God, in the God of the Bible. And people are not coming home to traditional churches or seeking places where they feel God seems present and where, he, where they feel he can be felt. And the quality of worship is a great concern today. Uh, I have down in the, in the notes here that the world's 700 million evangelical Christians, 350 are fully charismatic and two-thirds of all Pentecostal Christians are found in Africa, Asia, and Latin America where Christianity is growing at a, at a fantastic rate this is what what one author said, Jesus prays that his followers will experience the indwelling of God brought about through the work of the Holy Spirit. The truth of this spirituality is found through an experience of otherness, of a God whose presence is as real as his nature is foreign. The church is a community of believers that invites people to touch the glory of God, to be changed by it, and to bear this glory to the world. Worshippers today want a real uh, and intimate relationship with God. And this relationship... Of God is a genuine gift that Jesus promises in this prayer. And our desire. is ought to be that the that the spirit of God. His presence is felt in our worship services. Um, and if we do that. This will help us take the gospel into the world. When I was pastoring down in Ohio. I used to tell them that I was a missionary to Ohio. All the heathens in Ohio. Because I'm from Michigan of course. Had a lot of fun down there. Uh, with the Michigan and Ohio State thing. But... Uh, uh, the church in Bourbon, which is in the northeastern Ohio, uh, we, we, we had a church of about, well, around 100 or so people. And, and we had this one couple. He was a truck driver. And he started attending the church, he and his wife, a very lovely couple from North Carolina. And as he was attending, I, I asked him, I said, well, what makes you decide to attend our church? There's a lot of other churches here and bigger churches, more opportunities. He says, the reason I want to attend this church is because I feel uh, the presence of God in this church. And I said, well, you know, what, that's about the best compliment a pastor can get because that's, isn't that what we want? We want people when they come, they don't, they don't sense a, a, a spirit of division. They, they sense a spirit of unity and they sense the presence of God. And when Deb and I were looking for a church to, uh, to attend, a church to become a, a part of, uh, one of the most important things to us is is being part of a, of a, of a real worship service. And... Uh, The quality that we have here as far as a worship team is, to me, is just wonderful. The content of the songs, the quality of the music here is just wonderful. And I do appreciate the fact that when I'm looking around and I see brothers and sisters in Christ who who believe uh, the way that I believe, who love the Lord the way I love the Lord, Debbie and I love the Lord. And when we sing together, it's an experience of true worship to God. And that's what we ought to be seeking here, that when people come, they can sense That we are in tune with the Lord and and that there is a real otherness, a real experience uh, that we have here in worshiping our Lord and Savior. Number two, we ought to be the church where people are changed through the truth of God. God's truth is a means of the sanctification of the believer. As the message about Jesus was heard and believed and understood, the disciples' hearts and minds were captured. This change in their thinking resulted in a change in their living. And the same ought to be true for us today as we take the word of God and we apply the word of God to our hearts, we ought to be changed or sanctified. We ought to be set apart in the changing of our living in order to ultimately honor God and the way in which we live our lives. And Jesus prayed that his disciples might be sanctified in verse 17. The Greek word hagiadzo. This word in Greek uh, refers to something made holy, but the means of achieving it is through separation. So anything, whether it be a mountain, a temple plate, a priestly garment, or the people like Israel who belong to God, uh, serves His purposes should be considered holy or set apart from common use. This also refers to to uh, someone who is in so in, in so touch with God that re, that he reflects God's passions. And if you're that kind of person, you can be considered holy or sanctified. And Jesus was set apart and sent to the world to surrender His life. He was separated. He was made holy for a divine mission. Sanctification uh, is a a mission similar to that of Jesus Christ. We have been sent, just like our Savior, into the world. We too should be living uh, for purposes that are not our own, but shaped by the mission for which God has sent us. We should be walking so close to the Lord that we will know it's Him, even if He just whispers to us what He wants us to do. That's the kind of life that we ought to have, we ought to want to have. And if we have that kind of a life where where we're changed through the word of God where the the truth of God as it's as it's given out from this pulpit from as it's being taught in in the classrooms and and as it's one on one and where the men are teaching men and the women are teaching women when these things are done uh, our lives ought to be changed. I know that's how I was changed. I mean I started off going to churches that <laughs> that uh that you just can't believe churches that really weren't teaching the truth. And it wasn't until um, I started attending um, uh, uh, Bible college, uh, William Tyndale College, and, and started uh, going to a, a, good, uh, a good church, an uh, intercity Baptist church and, and other churches like this where, that taught the Word of God to where I began to grow and become the man of God that I needed to be, the man of God that Debbie needed me to be. Um, let's, let's, uh, let's, let's go on. Uh, number number three says that uh, to be the church where people see our unity with God and, we ch- we, and with each other. In a Peanuts cartoon, Linus, you know Linus, he was watching TV, and Lucy walks in and demands that Linus change the TV channels. And he did it. She did it by threatening him with her fist. And Linus says to her, "What makes you think you can come in and just take over?" She says, "These five fingers." Individually, they're nothing. But when I curl them together, with a unit like this, they form a weapon that's terrible to withhold. You can't handle it. Elaina says, "What channel would you like to watch?" And then he turns away and looks at his fingers. He says, "Why can't you guys get organized like that? In order to have something powerful and terrible and strong, we have to have unity." And Jesus, in this passage, prays for unity. What does it mean to have unity? Does it mean we have to agree on every single point of doctrine? I know we all don't agree on every single point of doctrine here, do we? You guys can't be right about everything. Or can you? <laughs> uh, our unity, God wants us to have unity. And it, it, um, it doesn't mean that there's only one denomination either. Like I said, when I meet with the guys there, sometimes I call it the Lutheran hour. We'll have three or four Lutheran guys there. and I'll say, Well, this is the Lutheran hour today. Or you can't believe our discussion about the speaking in tongues and gifts. You get a guy a chance who's a Pentecostal to start talking about that. We let him talk about it. Okay, you said what you're going to say. Let's move on. <laughs> you know, we respect each other in Christ. And we give each other an opportunity to share sometimes what, you know, what they believe. Even if we don't totally agree with that. Of course, the church is different. We actually have to all agree on the basic doctrines and teachings of the word. It means in general that we confess that Jesus Christ, that it, that he, him and we, we believe that his word is truth and we confess in the united way that the Father uh, and the Son are one and the Father sent the Son into the world to represent and reveal the Father. One Puritan preacher, Thomas Brooks, wrote, Discord and division becomes no Christian. For wolves to worry lambs is no wonder, but for one lamb to worry another is unnatural and monstrous. Now, I printed a lot of this out so that you would have a statement like that. That is an amazing statement because in my experiences as a pastor for over 30 years, I've met the very best of people in the church, wonderful, godly people, great people who love the Lord. But I have met some of the most vicious fire-breathing dragons that you can imagine in church as well. Uh, you just, it's hard to believe. I've, I've, I've met stunning pastors and I've met divisive deacons and I've met uh, unmanageable members. And I have a lot of juicy stories. Would you like to hear? No, you wouldn't like to hear. Yes, you would. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, they're, they're out there. All these difficult things. And you know, the pastor talked about the situation with Hiles Anderson. And, um, I mean, at one time I was a member, like I said, of a church where Hiles Anderson pastor was a pastor. And I didn't last there long, thank God. But uh, And I moved on. But uh, still, you know... We we, we we meet some 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 difficult people sometimes in ministry. How many times have you have you felt like just quitting church? I, I I'm done. I remember as a teenager I wanted you know this is back in the six oh, maybe early seventies. I mean I wanted to start a a, a a a just just to get a coffee house together where you sit around and rap <laughs> and just talk about you know, about the Lord rather than having an organized church because I just almost given up on churches. But I do know now that it's the Lord's way. This is what the Lord's designed. And if you do it right, uh, the way this church has been designed over the last 15 years, you know, God's going to bless in a mighty way. Jesus prays that we will have unity like that of the disciples. This unity must be visibly based on love. So when people see us, they know immediately that we represent Jesus Christ. By this, all men will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one for another. This unity is not based upon our own efforts. Our unity emerges as a, re- as a result of remaining in Jesus by being focused on him, by, by being one in him. That's how we have unity here. A.W. Tozer in his book, The Pursuit of God asks, Has it ever occurred to you that 100 pianos, all tuned to the same fork, are all automatically tuned to each other? They are of one accord by being tuned not to each other, but to another standard to which each one must individually bow. So 100 worshipers all meeting together, all looking toward Christ are are more in tune than it would be if they tried to be in tune with one another. If we had that kind of unity at this church where people see us as really loving one another and and being a blessing to one another and not backbiting and carrying on one with another, they'll be attracted to to this church for that very reason when they see the unity that is here. And if you do that, that'll help us take the gospel to this community. And God will bless this church in a real way. And finally, be the church that reflect God's glory and his love for the world. The church should reflect God's glory and his love for the world inasmuch as the church is indwelt by the Spirit and carries the call of God to the world because it's the manifestation of, of the love of Jesus Christ and of God in the world. Jesus was a bearer of God's glory and now the church bears that same glory. The verse says, I have given them the glory that you gave me to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. So the confidence of the church mission rests here. If the church reflects God's glory and love, if the church shows a unity that ranks in its ranks and is shared by a knowledge of God, this testimony will astonish the world. So if people come here and they see this, the unity that we ought to have, and they see that we're reflecting God's glory and we're sharing the gospel with the world, they'll be astonished that they're in a church such as this. And uh, just a way to just uh, wrap it all up. He says, we, m- we must offer our community the reality of God in our worship. The truth of God's word that will change their lives. Show true unity through the love of Christ and a shared mission, bearing God's glory and sharing his gospel with people who are in need of hope and salvation. And when we are, as Christ's church, embody these truths, and when we're at one with, with, with one another and, and one with the Lord, God will build his church. Amen? That's what Jesus Christ prays here. Several years ago, at the uh, Seattle Special Olympics, nine contestants, all physically or mentally disabled, assembled at the starting line for a 100-yard dash. At the gun, they all started out, not exactly in a dash, but the desire to win the race and and to finish and, and to go for it. All that is except one boy who stumbled on the asphalt. He tumbled over a couple times and he began to cry. The other eight heard the boy cry and they slowed down and looked back. Then they all turned around and went back, every one of them. One girl with Down syndrome bent down and kissed him and said, This will make it better. Then all nine linked arms and walked together to the finish line. Everyone in the stadium stood. And they went cheering on. For, they went cheering for over for several minutes, and people were there still telling the story. Why? Because deep down inside, we know this one thing: what matters in life is more than than, than just winning for ourselves. What truly matters in life is helping others win, even if it means slowing down and changing our course. And I think that's what we see here at this church: that yes, we could all be winners. But isn't it more important for us to slow down and help somebody maybe who's lost their way? Help somebody who's going through a difficult time to love them, to encourage them. And yes, we may have to change our course and it might make it a little bit more difficult for us. But it'll be worth it when they, beca- when they can become winners along with us. So when, when, uh, may we continue to glorify Jesus Christ through our love and unity with God and each other at this church. And may Jesus Christ's mission and his vision be ours. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, so much for our time today. And I, I pray, Lord, for this church. I Thank you for our pastor. I thank you for the leadership here. I Thank you for the vision that, uh, that they have uh, over the years to, to build and to develop uh, the kind of vision that you would have them do. I pray, Lord, for uh, our people here. I thank you for the the dedication uh, that that so many have here to fulfill that mission that they have in their lives and to serve one with another, to be used by you uh, to to reach this community with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray, God, that uh, you might just bless this day, and I thank you for each father that is here. I pray that we as fathers would uh, truly uh, be an example to our children and love them and encourage them. And may they see Jesus Christ in us, first and foremost. God bless us now and use us this coming week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.